Yo, what's good, everybody? It's, uh, well, on my end, it's November 12th. On your end, Peter, it's November 13th, 2020. Yeah. Uh, we, this is our first free episode um, in a uh, post-fucking-Trump, I don't know what to call it. Biden the, the, is pussy, our... the pussy hat partisan brigade is victorious. Fascism has been defeated. Racism is over. Um, yes. That means all white people can return their uh, white fragility books back because you know we solved racism, guys, by yeah. electing Joe Biden, um, the author of the '94 Crime Bill, as president. Um, yes, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, our episode is the complete opposite of that, pretty much in terms of spirit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is real Sankara hours, real Sankara hours, a uh, black Marxist political podcast where. Yeah, we talk about politics, political commentary from a black Marxist left perspective. Um, and yeah, this is our first free episode since uh, the uh, 2020 election. Now that it's finally over, follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Again, at Sankara Hours on Twitter. And um, support us, support independent black media www.patreon.com slash real car hours again patreon.com slash real car hours and also support the rest of the crew of resistance of resistance to as well um all the other podcasts drop squad afrogen major shout out to y'all um anyway yeah so we're gonna just we're gonna be talking about a bunch of stuff but mostly sort of like a i guess it's like a post 2020 election sort and, of and, and 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 uh Vision of what's to come. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, anyway, I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson Five on Twitter. Uh, I'm Peter M Gun. Follow me at M Gun Peter. Um, the discourse has been hot. I suppose it's been dumb. Yeah, as it always is. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, following us on Twitter is a good way to keep and uh, keep in touch of what our episodes and all that but um yeah don't having your head in twitter land for too long is yeah like, well it's like I, it's like putting your head in the toilet so i would invite yeah that. i mean every well it is very interesting because you know they like started censoring all of trump's stuff which is like well why didn't they do that before um uh, <laughs> like, what were they waiting for he's still the president so for another a couple of months and Though he's doing his lame, low-grade coup shit, which is also just, like, that is the thing where it's like, all right, liberals, you spent four fucking years telling <laughs> me how this is, man is an existential danger yes. to everything we hold dear. The most racist white man since Andrew Jackson. No, ever. The, ever, right, yeah, ever. I think even like, Chomsky said he was the worst president ever. He's the worst, most racist white man ever. Forgetting about Andrew Jackson and uh, all the others. I, I mean, I mean to to be fair, Trump also made bridles out of people's skin. He just like didn't. He just couldn't get like the licensing done to get him. You know, uh, he couldn't get the distribution deal done. So that's why we don't have them in stores. But you know, just like my boy Andrew Jackson. <laughs> um, yes, he too was uh, parody guys to <laughs> us. But it's, yeah, it's so. Now it's like, you know, he's doing his little coup tantrum or whatever, and he'll probably never, you know, 
everyone, like all the libs want him to admit that he lost, but he won't. But he'll eventually just sulk out of there. And uh, then he'll just hang around on TV because, you know, there's still more money to be juiced from the rubes because that's what you got to hand it to the right wing. They they grift like people with disposable income. Yeah. You know, so so the the boat salesman and hot and hot tub uh, salesman of the world, like they will still have, you know, their grievances to nurture and Trump will probably have his own, you know, probably by OANN or something. And he'll be around and the Democrats want that because they need to keep their base perpetually frightened because they've discovered that fear mongering is great for ratings. Uh, it, surprise, surprise. Speaking of, you know, discourse, uh, you know, when Biden won, um, so he won November. I mean, the election was on November 3rd and it took a while until November 7th, 2020 for the, the actual votes to be counted and all that. Because there was like this, you know, sort of red mirage on election day because, you know, there is the sort of there are the in-person ballots and then a bunch of mail-in ballots. So it took a long time to count up mail-in ballots, which which was by design because Republicans passed laws preventing them preventing election boards from counting them early. Right. In an attempt to create some sort of weird clusterfuck. But then uh, I guess they just got bored. And, you know, realize we're not, we're not, we're not dying for this man, you know, against Joe Biden. Come on. And, you know, Kamala Harris is uh, one thing I will hand to her. That is clearly a person who desires power over nothing else. Oh, yes. And so, wow. So what happened is, uh, I I just want to say, well, I never, I never trust Joe Biden to keep the system stable. I do trust, you know. Kamala Harris to be competent enough at playing the game to keep the system, you know, to do whatever has to be done to keep the system relatively stable so that she can eventually be in charge of it because that is all that she cares about, which honestly, you almost kind of respect it just because like Trump never actually wanted it, you know, just kind of in the classic uh, privileged white male way fell ass backwards into being president. And now, and then was stuck with it. So, you know, (laughs) but anyway. Yeah. So speaking of like discourse, so, and, you know, racism being over pretty much the whole country thanked black people for uh, saving America from racism because, you know, a whole group of people that you just stole from Africa and brought against their will to the United States and other parts of the Americas to work for you know, hundreds of years on plantations as slaves, and then, you know, then you end slavery and have, like, a hundred years of racial apartheid, and then, you know, 1964 comes, Civil Rights Act, and we still have systemic racism, so we have to experience all this shit. But then, in 2020, America thanked black people for saving the country that continues to treat us like shit from racism by voting for Joe Biden, a man who worked with racist segregationists in the South to stymie desegregation efforts in the 1970s, and who was the major architect of the war on um, a major architect of the war on drugs in the 80s and 90s, the infamous author of the 94 crime bill that locked up a lot of black people, especially black men, and ruined their lives. Yeah, so, um, uh, 
you know, got rid of one white dude, replaced him with another. And so Biden, he also thanked black people. So what he did in his victory speech, um, he said to the black community, you've always had my back and I'll have yours. <laughs> I will. <sighs> he's going <laughs> to he's gonna have our back. And what he's going to have, he's going to have a knife and he's going to... Boom, yeah, stick it yeah right he's, in g- he's gonna have the back so that there will be lots of lash marks to be put on it. That's what he meant by it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And oh. so there's this article. I'll, I'll start off with this because I think this article is interesting because it's, the title of it is from the New York Times. It says, uh, Black voters helped deliver Biden a presidential victory. Now what? So I think this, this article is interesting because... Um, uh, it interviews a uh, quite a few black voters who voted for Biden, but um, it it seemed like a lot of their votes were mostly votes against Trump rather than for Biden, which seemed to be like I think this election I think it's fair to say was mostly a referendum on the Trump presidency, and I think yeah. and I I really think honestly. If there was no pandemic, I'm pretty sure Trump would have won this election. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty. I feel like that's pretty. Obvious. Yeah. I I also when I get real uh, tinfoil hatty, like well, because we know that Democrat like House Democrats were briefed on the pandemic in January, so on some level they were like, ah, well, with this we can we can float this guy by. But it's like for someone presiding over the worst pan both both the worst pandemic and the worst economy like since in the Great Depression, it's uh. It's amazing that it was a squeaker um, yeah. that he just eked it out, really. Yeah. Uh, so they, th- this New York Times interviewed a lot of black voters, and um, it talked to Courtney Nellums. Um, it said Courtney Nellums did not share like the hundreds in attendance. Instead, listening to Mr. Biden speak in Wil- Wilmington, uh, Delaware, from her hometown, Detroit, she felt somewhat skeptical. Okay, let's see if he's really being honest about this, Miss uh, Nellums, who is black, recalled thinking. My prayer is that it's not just lip service. And it continues, uh, the article continues, while black voters across the country celebrated the election of Mr. Biden and his vice president, Senator Kamala Harris of California, many said in recent days that the administration would have to prove its sincerity when it comes to addressing the country's vast inequities and systemic barriers. Um, so yeah, he, he got, Joe Biden got 85% of the black vote and uh, the New York Times said in two dozen interviews, some African American voters echoed a longstanding political, political concern that they were underappreciated, particularly within the Democratic Party they have staunchly supported for decades. While Democrats always face high expectations to deliver for black communities, the pressure on Mr. Biden a compromise first moderate may be even greater because of the recent summer of protests over police brutality and systemic racism, the racial makeup of his electoral coalition and his own past. So I want to, I want to stop right here because I think like that's important because I think um, the mood of the country and especially the mood of black people in the United States is that, we had a black president for eight years. We were told like, oh, having a black president would mean we reached, you know, the top. 
right? Like, we got a black president. Yeah, yeah, the entire struggle was to Obama. Right, There was a lot of very explicit messaging Mm -hmm. um, to that end. Yeah, and, you know, Biden being Obama's vice president. um, But in terms of the material conditions of black America did not improve under Obama. And And it actually got worse in many ways. Yeah, yeah, and especially, like, there was very lackluster relief given to black people after the 2008 financial crash. And also, like, this is really important. Black Lives Matter started under Obama, under his uh, second term. And the Ferguson uprisings happened, yeah, in the middle of his second term. So, you know... uh, so now with this second wave of Black Lives Matter protests after the murder of George Floyd, um, I think we're at a point now, especially with younger black people, like black millennials and black Zoomers are pretty fed up with the way things have done. And so there's an even greater demand for real like targeted policies geared toward black people in the united states i think like that's where the temperature of a lot of black people is at right now in the united states i think it's like kind of close to there there's like even greater demand for like more progressive and radical change and and not even just that but like actual like okay there has to be an actual uh black agenda geared specifically to black people so biden won in the midst of this and he's the same dude who wrote the fucking 94 crime bill, which actually is one of the major sources for the protests happening right now in terms of like yeah. how, how much it basically exploded the prison system. And also like a lot of even um, I'll, I'll, and after this, I'll be talking about the California ballot results. Like even there have been some local reforms and proposals to scale back some of the excesses of the war on drugs and mass incarceration so biden basically created the problems that we're now fighting right now and i that's what i find interesting that even though a lot of black people voted for biden the level of um there there's more pressure to actually for him to actually do something rather than just lip service i think more black people are like have become hip to the game about like democrats just paying paying lip service to black people but not actually doing anything so that's yeah i i i mean that's people have been aware for a very long time the problem of course is always that the republican party will always be on the surface extremely more racist i mean i think the actual inner workings of both parties are about on the same level of racism but its outward face is, you know, so abhorrently racist that, you know, no black person with any self-respect, key word with any self-respect, uh, <laughs> can join them. And so that will that's never going to change. And so, you know, there, will, uh, there are black people who are politically educated and active, but are checked out of the, you know, Democratic Party infrastructure then there are, you know, perhaps more older voters who are, you know, firmly in that infrastructure. And I feel like those ones, it's it's hard, you know, there may be some movement between the two camps, but I feel like it'll be very hard for any of them to break with the Democratic Party just yeah. because they're very what? locked into that, into the two-party system. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking of is because 
like especially with I think older Gen X black folks and definitely black baby boomers, I think are a lot more um yeah, like wedded to the Democratic Party because um they always saw the de- the Democratic Party as like you know, even if they saw like the Democrats as a lesser of two evils, I think they always felt like a greater sense of urgency to back the Democrats because the Republicans are so overtly racist. Versus, I think, a lot of black millennials and black Zoomers, like the ones who are at like these Black Lives Matter protests, and I think a couple episodes we, we referred to an article about Joe Biden having a tough time appealing to younger black voters. Because those are the ones who are like, wait a minute, we don't trust Biden because all the shit we're protesting was created by him. And so their standards when it comes to voting for politicians, I think, are a little bit higher than many of the older black voters. Because I think like when people talk about black voters, one thing I've noticed is that there is a generational gap in terms of – yeah. In terms of just political consciousness, that's that's what I mean. Is that like there's a different kind of like political consciousness, consciousness and mood because of this the different experiences that have shaped our lives with Black Zoomers and Black Millennials versus the political consciousness and the times that especially Black Baby Boomers and Black Gen Xers grew up in. But I I, th- I do think like some of that is uh, animating like you know, some of the interviews are having with people in this New York Times piece. Because, yeah, there's a lot of, like, jubilation, but then there's also, like, um, you know, because especially now, like, there was, like I said, like, this is a referendum on Trump's presidency, so there is this, this greater urgency to get rid of Trump because yeah. of what he represented. Yeah, and turnout was way up. And, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, like, that was you know, voting out of survival, self-preservation, because, you know, you can't, you, at the very least, you can't have all these mega chuds, like, emboldened for another four years. I mean, it is literally terrorizing. Uh, but it is, and also, like, yeah, turn out, I was pretty uh, uh, despondent on the idea that Georgia would flip, but I suppose that it did, which, you know, is good. But that's a representation of, you know, large amounts of capacity was built in terms of, you know, building turnout machines and registering new people. And, you know, all this organizational capacity was built. And it's, you know, in a similar way with the Sanders campaign. But the question is, where, how does that, you know, how, like, that just gets put back into the Democratic Party. And, you know, at what point, because I remember a while ago, we had, been talking uh you know off air about the concept of like you know a voter strike which i I don't know how much sense that makes but i do think that like all the non-profit volunteers and all all that free labor that the democratic party just subsists on at some point people have got to ask themselves you know what am i getting out of this other than like a delaying of like the worst possible outcome and at what point do do all those does all that capacity build and all those turnout uh, organizations and all that stuff? At what point do people say no? We're not doing this for you. So, um, so that actually, 
I'm going to tie into, this is the part actually of this article that I found the most interesting because it actually ties into what you're saying. Um, so I'll, I'll read the few paragraphs and then we'll discuss it. Uh, it says, while young black progressive activists champion slogans like defund the police, Representative James E. Clyburn, i.e. Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, one of the one of the most powerful black members of Congress, criticized the use of such phrases. He argued that they threatened to undermine support for racial justice movements and hurt Democrats in elections. Banika Jones, 41, works in food, food service for the Detroit Public Schools, said she wanted to see reparations for black people, a public option for health care, a living wage for workers, and the elimination of student loan debt. I want to see some actual, real socialist reform, she said, emphasizing the political ideology that Republicans have used to demonize de de Democrats. I said a dirty word, and I meant it. I want us to move toward Denmark. Although she voted for Mr. Biden, Ms. Jones said she was not excited about him. Instead, she saw him as a continuation of past Democrats who seemed more inclined to try to placate voters in the middle rather than push for real change for African Americans and other marginalized groups. The Democrats always say that they're trying to that they're going to do something, she said. They're going to make healthcare better. They're going to help us with education. They're going to do something about poverty. But they have spines that are made out of ramen or something. They are completely unwilling to stand up and fight back. So this actually speaks to what I think what you're talking mm -hmm. about, Peter. Because like, there's on one hand, like, fucking Jim Clyburn, who's criticizing the phrase defund the police because it hurts Democrats in election. This is kind of what I'm talking about, is that like... It's not even just generational, but like there is a class of black political leaders who were more interested in protecting the Democratic Party versus meeting the addressing the demands and needs of black movements. Um, and then you, we see here like a, a, a black woman working in food service for a Detroit public school saying calling for reparations, a public option for health care, living wage, eliminating student debt. And in her words, actual real socialist reform. And th this is this th that's what I found interesting about this article is that like there are a lot of black people who are like, yeah, we've been voting for these assholes for a long fucking time, and what are we getting? Like we need some real shit, like some real like, in her words, socialist reform. And um. Yeah, that's what I found interesting about this piece because I think I think especially what she said speaks to Yeah, I, I think like people yeah. are more like honest about like this is what this is what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, I mean black America is very politically aware and active. That is the one of the elements of, you know, an underdeveloped nation that is pretty well developed. And yeah. so yeah, there's an there's an awareness and understanding, but that just, you know, reveals just how incredibly oppressive the system is because it's not it's not an ignorance thing like plenty of you know concern enough concerned people understand the problems but there's just so much money uh there's so many interests in preserving the situation that it's it's you know of course they're not going to do anything about it i mean you know it's fucking joe biden and kamala harris like like we know, we know what Kamala Harris's plan is about, you know, it, Pell Grant forgiveness to people who, you know, are minority-owned businesses in 
inner city areas for three years or something uh which you know it it takes out like they come up with stuff like that on purpose to almost insult you and it's like yeah and it for me i mean i really am at a breaking point with all this shit where it's just like i can't you know you can't give up you can't like stop doing things or like you know pretend to ignore the problem you know if i were someone who would never learned about this stuff and figured it out then maybe i could continue to ignore things but i can't do that but it just seems like all the channels that you normally would understand are methods for political change are blocked off or co-opted or just direct you back into the democratic part and you're like all right well maybe let's try this way and then you follow the road and then you end up back where you started again and it gets very frustrating and i do think at some point something will have to break but there's also a lot of money involved in it not breaking a lot of people's jobs and you know the highest uh, forms of technology and social coercion and you know they have this stuff down to a science literally so it is hard to break through yeah and and that's the reason why another reason why i shared this is i think like especially with the protests that happened last summer um it's not even is is beyond even just the consciousness, but it's like it seems like politically there's a, a shift going on that I think in terms of um like a critical mass of black people reaching the point that you're talking about, Peter, that like is reaching beyond like the breaking point of like we're we're just done with this sh- shit because the consciousness has been there, but we haven't we haven't reached like that critical mass where like we could like that there's gonna be like some sort of political seismic shift and i think like with the this second wave of black lives matter protests it seems like there's there's like a shift that is occurring at least on the grassroots level but the democrats doing what they do they just absorb that you know whatever grassroots movement is going on and then they just water it down and feed it right back into the system but um i'm wondering and this is just like probably going is i think it's probably going to be an ongoing question is that like you know when are people going to reach the breaking point where they're just going to be like you know what fuck the democrats and the entire two-party system because it feels like and i don't know i'm just sort of just just speculating just punditry but it, it seems like there's a credit like there's a kind of growing mass of people in this country, especially black people, but other other people who are reaching some sort of point where they're just so fed up with a two party system that like some people are reaching like some sort of breaking point. And yeah. That's what, yeah. And when I was reading that article, I felt like at least in terms of t- them talking to the black people, the black people in this article, like I felt it felt like there's there's enough black people who are like reaching that point. Hence the protests that happened last summer. Yeah. And like, in case everyone forgot, like for the first six days, like the reason they, you know, took off and became basically probably the biggest, uh, nation protest nationwide, uh, at, at the very least in the 20th, first and 20th centuries. I mean, in terms of, you know, reaching like a nationwide level saturation, none of that was because of all the liberal foundations and 
NGOs and all that stuff that are generally the public face of the movement, they were all caught Mm flat-footed. They had no idea it was going to explode like that. And they were racing to catch up, and it took them a week to catch up. And eventually they kind of, quote-unquote, got the lid on things. But that's a, I mean, that's a, it's, I guess it's a good representation or a good indicator that, like, you know, people are going to move, uh, you know, whether or not the Democratic Party has anything to do about it. Yeah, times like these, um, I'm reminded of Malcolm X quote that I love when he went on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace. You can find the clip on YouTube, and he says, Negroes are banding together in different kinds of movements, all kinds of movements. Uh, they remain almost invisible, and when I say invisible, I mean invisible in the sense that their existence is unknown, and no matter how much you try and track them down, you can't find them, and never try and find them through the Negro leaders. Uh, <laughs> the Negro leaders are famous as apologists. And I feel, I love that quote because it's spot on about just sort of the self-organizing activity of the masses, whether or not the political system is ready to receive it or not, because the system demands action. And so at some point, it, people will act and there, there will always be action. And, you know, the, the political structures will never truly know exactly what's going on on the ground they could try their best to understand i mean even a revolutionary organization is it's not it doesn't have some magical line into you know what all black people are talking about but there will always be movement and it you you can't necessarily predict what direction it's going to go but it will always be there and that's the that that's the kind of stuff that i've been feeling pretty doomery about this whole situation just because I just feel very deflated, um, I guess. Not even, not even deflated, just like, oh, right, you know, we're back where we were four years ago. But it's stuff like that that allows you to, you know, have some, I hate the word hope, but resolve. That's a better word. Um, on a, this is not quite sh- uh, shifting gears, but it is related. I, I wanted to bring up, actually, the results of um the california uh ballot measures because we actually did we talked about previously um the uh california's prop 22 uh when it came to regulation for uber and lyft drivers and app app app-based companies um and another thing that other progressives and leftists have pointed out with the 2020 election is that even though joe biden won it didn't help with down ballot races because there are a lot of the, there are a lot of um progressives quite a few progressives and democrats who lost um especially when yeah. it came to, especially when it came to this uh the house the house the democrats actually lost a couple seats in house races and then also when it came to um the ballots there were a few like progressive ballots because Peter, you said in Portland, Maine, that there is a rent control measure that was passed. Yeah, a bunch of them got passed: rent control, uh, minimum wage hike, uh, a Green New Deal, and banning facial surveillance. And I was really shocked because all the developers and like the Maine newspaper came out against it, and the mayor came out against it, and there were so many freaking signs everywhere. But people were able to prevail, but that doesn't always work. 
I mean, but they were spending like six hundred thousand dollars, not two hundred million, which is what Uber and Lyft spent. Yeah, and all those assorted uh, whatever money was just floating around Silicon Valley, so they could keep their uh, you know, all time epic century grifts going. Yeah, and uh, so I'll, I'll. There are a lot of propositions on the California ballot. I will just name a few. So, um, there was uh, Prop 16, which would have um, ended the ban on affirmative action, because California has a ban on affirmative action, and Prop 16 would have ended the ban on affirmative action. Um, anyway, that ballot measure was defeated. Um, f- uh, so, yeah, people voted no on Prop 16 at 56%. And people voted yes at forty four percent. So again, if Prop sixteen would have passed, it would have ended the ended the ban on affirmative action in California. Um, and then, so that was pretty disappointing because I thought, like, I mean, California, like, it's a liberal state, but has some very conservative elements. Like, it's probably if it's- there's any. If, if if there's one word to describe California, I would say neoliberal. Like it's it, it yeah. I would put say the neo, put the liberal and neoliberal. I yeah. I don't know how liberal progress or progressive it is, as much as it is just completely run by Democrats. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. There's, yeah. There's no Republican Party to speak of, really. Yeah. The Democrats have like a super super majority in California, but they still manage to pass policies that are pretty pro corporate. Um, now there are some, some victories. So prop 17, um, this would approve voting rights for people who are formerly incarcerated. So that actually did pass. So people, so 59% of California voters, voters voted yes on prop 17. So, um, yeah, it's a constitutional amendment that would allow people on parole for parole for felony, felony convictions to vote after their state or federal prison term ends. Um, now, uh, then on the other hand, Prop 18, which would have allowed 17-year-olds to vote in primaries, that was defeated. Um, wow. Yeah, and then, um, so Prop 20, uh, so, which that would, so, um, Okay, so this ballot... Me- oh, I remember. Okay, because there's all these like, different ballot measures. So, uh, reading through this, so I have to like, kind of keep track. So this is... I'm quoting from um, uh, CAP Radio. Uh, and so... Let me find it. Okay, yeah. This ballot measure would roll back changes to California sentencing laws, changing certain misdemeanor crimes to felony crimes. It would also make changes to the state's parole system and require people convicted of certain misdemeanors to submit DNA collection to a state da- uh, database. So basically, um, it would allow for stricter parole and sentencing. So there was a previous ballot measure that reduced certain crimes that were previously felonies down to misdemeanors. And so this Prop 20 would have rolled that back. So the crimes that are now misdemeanors that used to be felonies prop 20 would have reversed that and put them put them back as felonies and would it also it would also make changes to the state's parole system 
and require people convicted of certain misdemeanors to submit DNA collection to a state database. Anyway, that was defeated by 62%, which I'm really happy to hear about that, actually. Um, rent control, Prop 21, that was defeated. Uh, people people voted no on Prop 21 at 60%. 60% of California voters voted no on rent control, which is pretty, like, kind of batshit yeah. given how expensive fucking housing is yeah. in California. Well, rent control is one of those things that there's a lot of ideology around it. And yes. a lot of people think that it doesn't work. Um, but it does. I mean, it, it actually is helpful. But on a statewide level, people are... I feel like it's harder to achieve just because, yeah, you know, all the suburban homeowners think like it's a terrible, it's going to destroy the city. It's one of the, it's one right. of those like uh, buzzwords in the right wing fever dream imagination of why cities are terrible. Yeah. And uh, so this, this measure would have allowed cities and counties to implement rent control for residential properties that are over 15 years old. Um, right. And then uh, there is also... Right, because it's banned. Yeah, it like, is. Like, cities can't even do it. Right, yeah. Um, also, okay, so Prop 22, this is a major one. This is the Uber one, basically. So, Prop 22, so there's a, a California law that gives regulations for, um, like, app-based companies that rely on contractors and basically, like, give regulations to classify workers as contractors if they pass like a certain criteria it's basically to regulate like companies like uber and lyft from exploiting people through by uh putting too many people on like the contractor status which would remove them from getting like workers comp and health benefits and all that so um prop 22 would have essentially <clears throat> essentially make gig workers exempt to to uh it's called assembly bill five assembly bill five is a new labor law that requires companies to label like at based independent contractors as employees prop 22 was basically written by these at based companies to reverse that essentially so and there was like a lot of propaganda around it anyway the results of it it passed so prop 22 the uber bill that was written basically to benefit uber and lyft passed uh 58 percent of california voters voted yes on prop 22 42 percent voted no and one of the um like the propaganda was so insidious there was one i, I remember uh, seeing on television there was a uh, uh, mothers against drunk driving had in nice. uh, supported prop 22 and they were saying like the way they spun it was that and i think i said this in a previous episode the way they spun it is that they said uh prop 22 would get drunk drivers off the road because it would benefit uber and lyft so there's a like it was and that was Man. playing like often and so it didn't get into like what the bill actually dealt with which was the labor protections it wasn't like it wasn't to get rid of uber and lyft drivers it was to basically regulate those companies so the but, workers can have can have like the bare minimum of workers protections but but in the in the minds and it may actually be true because uber is not profitable and that's kind of their point uh <laughs> because silicon valley type like the silicon valley ideology believes like profits themselves are for suckers 
because if you're focusing on getting profits now, you're forestalling all the the infinite amount of profits you have once you dominate the entire market. So there is a mantra, which I mean, it's also just fanatical uh, bubble machine creating, but they there people will actually say stuff like that. So I know Uber isn't profitable and it's not just because they all thought self-driving cars are going to show up. I mean, they're not that stupid, but, <laughs> uh, but it's also, but yeah, so having to actually, you know, pay workers, you know, according to minimum wage laws, having to pay into unemployment. I mean, the amount of hours these guys log in now having to give them benefits. Oh, come on. You know, having yeah. to pay into workman's comp. I mean, they'd have to do all of that stuff. And it's quite possible it would have sent them under. I mean, it's quite possible that, you know, but it's also very harrowing because that's, you know, that just entrenches the uh, gig economy W9 lifestyle that is taking over the American economy. And it just further atomizes people where there's not even like a shared workplace, you know, which at what before was like a site of organization. Uh, now you don't even have that. You're, it's just you and your car and an app. You don't even have a boss. You just have an app to tell you, you know, when you're fired, which is very dystopian. Yeah. Um, and so uh, two other bills that I think uh, measures that I think are important that that I want to share. Um, one is one is a good result. Another one's a bad result. Um, in Cal, so Prop Twenty Four would have. Um, expanded consumer privacy so that actually did pass it uh so yes on 24 passed at 56 percent with yes votes uh no votes 44 percent so basically the proposition would allow california to block companies from sharing personal personal information and limit businesses use of sensitive personal information so that's good um prop 25 which was uh repeal of cash bail um that was defeated so it was the no votes so 56 percent of california voters voted no on 25 so um prop 25 would have would have replaced california's cash bail system with a new pretrial release system based on public safety and flight risk um some of these like bills like when you yeah. look at the details, um, some of them, like, the details, like, seem kind of mixed. I, th- I think I heard, like, some critiques of Prop 25, but th- that's the thing. But my point yeah. in bringing this but my point in bringing this up is that, like, there were certain measures that, like, state by state that actually were progressive that got passed, but then Democrats lost House seats, but then biden won which i think like because what the way the democrats are trying to spin this and maybe we can talk actually we could talk about this because it actually talks this actually dovetails into one of the things that you brought up peter like the democrats were saying the democrats like mainstream democratic leadership have been saying um they said bernie's down pallet poison that's why you can't run him exactly hilarious exactly yeah they were saying themselves yeah exactly they were saying Oh, progressives and the socialist agenda hurts Democrats. But if you actually look at some of the propositions that were voted on, like I mean, California like was pretty mixed and disappointing. But there were some progress progressive ones that, especially when it came to um, 
uh, like criminal justice reform, like voting rights for previously incarcerated people, expanding consumer privacy, um, y- and uh, also against like stricter parole and sentencing. Like some some of those things like are, you know, are pretty at, at this point like standard progressive slash social democrat like ideas, and they're winning. And then in Portland, Maine, like rent control, and then also um. I think in Florida there wasn't Florida there. Florida passed a minimum wage hike. Right, and Florida went for Trump. So yeah. it, it's just like <laughs> well, what it proves to me is that direct democracy is more effective than going through the Democratic Party. Pretty much. So yeah. why yeah. do we need them again? If you could just take all this shit to the people and and they'll vote for it, then what the fuck is the point of all these fucking Democrats? It's like like I'm sorry, what like. Like, if the point is, like, oh, you have to enact, elect Democrats so they'll pass progressive legislation, then it's like, you do that, and then they don't do that because they have a million excuses, always, most of which boil down to, well, I can't do that because I'm in, like, a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a red seat. And it's like, no, I, as far as I can tell, like, what takes pe- what takes the fucking blue dog centrist Democrats down is that they're all spineless cowards, and people can smell yes. that. Right. People, people can smell and they can sense if you're a total fucking coward. And I, there's other words I would use, but won't use them on this podcast um, <laughs> for not to be problematic. But like you're a fucking coward. You disavow your and are constantly antagonizing your own voter base. And then you wonder why you keep losing. Like, it's so ridiculous. It's but. It's not about, like, for those people, it's not about winning elections. It's about having a reason to blame the left. And it's and it's about ideology for those people. Like, mm-hmm. whether or not people act like it's a dispassionate argument as to whether or not, like, running on progressive policy or running on, you know, dipshit uh, milquetoast centrism, like, is better for the Democratic Party and that it's just a choice between which one is more effective. No, that's not how it works. They don't want to do that shit. I mean, in some places, they have to pretend to do it, but they're like, let's see AOC win in West Virginia. That's not how any of that works. Like, I mean, also West Virginia, like, had a statewide teacher strike. I think they're going to be okay with Medicare for all. Like, it's, it's just a lot. It's just all the health insurance CEOs and ex CIA people who, for some ungodly reason, want to be politicians, and then you know, realize that, oh, I guess there is still, like, some semblance of, like, having to live deliver for the people that voted for you. That's fucked up. We got to get rid of that. Um, so that that's why it happens. I mean, the thing is, is that Democrats can hold out and whine. But on so- at some point, if they're interested in their own survival, they're going to have to do something. I mean, some now something, shit. like, there was so, this uh, interview that... We'll see what happens. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did with the New York Times, and she was pretty much saying exactly that. That... Because uh, the Democrats were... Have been treating her like the enemy. And she was saying, like, hey, look, like, if you listen to these demands, like, you know, people like them, and it'll help the party... And then she was saying, um, she said toward the end that she might give up on politics and she's considering it. I don't know. Um, we'll see. But <laughs> I, I, she's, <laughs> I think she's just pulling a Drake, you know, like, I don't even want this shit. 
I'm not even happy here. I mean, she's not going to quit politics. Come on. But, I mean, she can't, she also can't be signaling like, yeah, no, I'm going to run for Senate. Um, be, you know, so, I, don't know. I I took that whole interview with a grain of salt. I'm a little, I'm not the biggest fan of Justice Dems exactly. just because, once again, redirecting everything back into the Democratic Party. And until I see a plan from Justice Dems on how they're going to get all of the billionaires and CIA people and healthcare, health insurance CEOs out of the party, then I feel like this is all just... Well, actually, let's talk about some of the people on... So um, please don't come after me. uh, Joe Biden's transition team, because there's actually uh, um, a a good piece in In These Times by Sarah Lazar that the title of it is One-Third of Biden's Pentagon Transition Team Hails from Organizations Financed by the Weapons Industry. And Peter, you were looking at some some members of his transition team as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The presumptive uh, Secretary of Defense is Michelle Flournoy, who was a big uh, booster of the Libya intervention. She re- she really sold uh, Biden, and eventually yeah. Oh, sorry, just yeah, to, uh, just to kind that. of uh, contextualize. Uh, she... So, Michelle Flournoy, she was the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Strategy under Bill Clinton and the Under Secretary of Defense for Policy under President Obama. So, that's where she was able to, yeah, push for Libya intervention. Yeah. There's, there's Kath Hicks, who is the, and I shit you not, Henry A. Kissinger Chair of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, which is one of the ghouliest think tanks around, just by evidence that they named one of Henry their chairs Henry Kissinger, by the way, is, as of today, 97 uh, years old, and he's still not. He's still alive. I, looking, at, looking at her bio, I love this. Uh, it says... Um, Expertise, Asia, climate change, counterterrorism and homeland security, defense industry, acquisition and innovation, uh, defense strategy and capabilities, defense security, geopolitics and and international security, long-term futures, NATO, weapons of mass destruction proliferation. Uh, In the associated programs, there's a defense 360, I don't know what that is, defense budget analysis, defense industrial initiatives groups, events series uh this one's funny it's because it goes uh military fellows missile defense project project on nuclear issues smart women smart power 2015 global development forum uh which yeah there's gonna be a lot of girl bosses a lot of a lot you know i'm sure they would object to me categorizing them that you know a lot of strong women who are out there to prove they can war crime just as hard as any of the boys. And I'm sure they will make no, they will spare no expense to do that. Uh, it, there's, you know, there's a lot of um, understanding that we need to start building up our military for a potential confrontation with China uh, or, you know, modernize, you know, whatever, whatever buzzwords have to get thrown out to, hand more billions of dollars over to Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin to get the brand new space age stuff that actually probably doesn't really work. 
Yeah. But that's not the point. The point is just to have new shiny toys, uh, which is all like that buildup was like even in the original Cold War, it was like the missile gap was just, a you know, it was just a way to boost, uh, you know, Lockheed Martin and Boeing stocks. It wasn't really like about an actual concern of defense capabilities against the Soviet yeah. Union. The same thing here. Like, <laughs> no one's going to actually fight China. Are you insane? Come on. You know, might get a couple of proxy wars, but that's it. Like, no one's no one's fighting China. They have too much money in, invested in there, and they have too much money invested in us. So this is this is, but it doesn't mean that the there isn't a lethality to the American Empire. Of course, there is, and there and doesn't mean that there's not going to be an insane amount of xenophobia that will be largely ignored, uh, because you know people just bring up Xinjiang, even though they have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, and, you know, whatever new human rights crisis that has been, that, you know, is not being talked about by every uh, supposedly left, you know, news outlet, you know, liberal left news outlet. And there's going to be all sorts of fun. Um, I, you know, I'm sure... They keep saying we're going to pull oh, out of the Middle of the, East, but come speaking on, Speaking of the Middle East, um, you know, we I can't quit there. Report, just meant, I just want to make a mention of this. This October 2020 report from Arab Wars about um, Donald Trump's, uh, you know, U.S. airstrikes and um, ground operations in Yemen during Donald Trump's presidency. And um, yeah, it says a total of 230 alleged and declared U.S. kinetic actions took place in Yemen during Donald Trump's presidency. Yeah, I mean, Kine- the, the military kinetic action means bombing, their, by the know, way. Um, airstrikes and ground operations and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah it's, it's, uh, it's. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, I just, I love, love that one. I love kinetic there. action. Um, yeah, according to Air Wars <laughs> monitoring, of these, 181 U.S. actions were officially declared. This likely marked the most intensive period of strikes in that country by any U.S. president since 2001. Um, the year 2017 saw the heaviest period of U.S. actions in Yemen during the Trump administration, with 133 officially declared U.S. airstrikes and ground actions. This spike in activity coincided with the administration labeling three provinces as areas of active hostilities, making it easier for U.S. Central Command to conduct uh, attacks. Since this early peak, U.S. activity has declined significantly. Only 21 declared a likely U.S. action. So there's like a big peak in 2017, but there's still been like you know, bombings and shit like that going on in Yemen. Um, then it says uh, 40, 41 of the 230 alleged and declared U.S. actions in Yemen during Donald Trump's presidency were found by air wars who have associated allegations of civilian harm. Of these, 25 reported U.S. actions were assessed by air wars to have likely resu- resulted in civilian harm, reportedly leading to deaths of between 86 and 154 civilians including at least 28 children and 13 women. Um, And then it says at least 40% of the total minimum likely civilian deaths estimated by air wars resulted from confirmed or alleged U.S. ground raids, though these only accounted for between 1.5 to 3% of all declared and likely U.S. So the the thing is about our our war in Yemen that there's so many um, 
activities that are very uh, secretive because there's stuff done by the United States military. There's actions done by the CIA. And then even within the U.S. military, there's JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command. And like yeah. a, a lot of their activities are classified. So this is only like just a sliver of what we know of what's going on in Yemen. But yeah, like the U.S. war in Yemen and the drone strikes, those are still going on, especially under Donald Trump. And this is like, you know, really important to consider uh, for two reasons. One, there have been some like kind of edgelord types who are saying like, actually, uh, Donald Trump is the lesser evil when it comes to military. Well, it's like, no, he's he's not like he's not like a, a, a Bush type who's going to invade countries and he's not like obama where he's expanding the drone wars but he's still continuing the wars that are already going on and still giving the you know the u.s war machine um whatever permissions it wants to keep keep conducting all the bombing and killing that they're doing and and then also there's that and then also um, yeah yeah this is something this is something that has been bothering me that a lot of anti-war energy like because during the obama years i remembered um that a lot of liberals who were critical of bush for invading iraq and torture in guantanamo were a lot more permissive with obama when it came to drone strikes and they gave a lot of arguments to sort of justify Obama's drone strikes because they were saying like, well, you know, Obama, he's smarter. I trust him to waste drone strikes and uh, drone strikes. They're not as bad as, you know, invading countries on the ground. And I, I remember ha- having arguments, arguments, with, arguments with people about this. And then, you know, Donald Trump comes in office and, you know, 2016, like people are very apoplectic about um, Trump becoming president. And so part of me was like, okay, maybe people might be more willing to criticize Trump when he keeps bombing people, especially with this drone, the drone program, and also the fact that um, the U.S. president has access to a kill list. So basically, um, the president and the executive branch can decide who lives or dies based on if they consider someone a terrorist. And uh, yeah, and so. You know, there was no protest from liberals when it came to Trump's drone strikes because what, what, like, because the thing is, like, people were saying, like, Donald Trump is this existential threat. No. Wouldn't it make sense to criticize his drone program, his continuation of of Obama's drone strikes? Especially when, um, uh, Soleimani, like, he, he did that strike that killed Soleimani in Iran. But, you know, all the emphasis was on, like, Trump is like a Russian agent. He's just a fucking russian and and this got overlooked and it's 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 something that's like honestly really fucking bothered me that four years of trump being president and continuing all these bombings and the very people who are like the most anti-trump have not made a peep of this they do Right. They, well, liberals they do. love yeah, the US but it's still just they, like, they love I mean, it just more from, than like, Republicans, honestly. Just, it's hard not to get pissed because it's like all this, like, because I, I do remember, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just like fucking pissed because it's like, oh, you I mean, guys, you can get pissed if you want. You know, went from uh, opposing Bush's wars, the Bush war in Iraq, and then totally fucking justifying Obama's drone strikes. And now Trump is doing it, and he's this existential threat that they claim he is. 
um, it would make sense even in their own worldview to criticize Trump. But like, dang, they're not even like doing that. It's just like he's just this, you know, Russian stooge or Russian bot or whatever. <laughs> Right. right. No, they're upset that he might put that he might weaken NATO, and like as though we as though we need NATO for anything. And, and this, and, other and than this to kind sell of gets to, to actually, like, I think, uh, I think the question that you posed at the beginning, like, what does it mean, like, now that Trump is out of office, like now that like we've quote unquote voted out fascism, what does it mean? And to me, it seems like at least at least when it comes to foreign policy, it's like, oh, we're just gonna go back to more drone strikes and people aren't going to give a shit about it. It, that, that's, it seems like one thing to expect with Biden. Yeah. 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 I mean, on the <laughs> uh, Wikipedia page for that, Michelle yeah. Flournoy, uh, there's a, there's a beautiful quote. I, whoever edited props to who's ever editing the Wikipedia page for Michelle Flournoy. Cause she, it says she favorites applying regional Middle East partners, including Saudi Arabia, with increased drone capabilities, saying that's going to do a lot more for Saudi confidence, for Emirati confidence. And I just love the idea that, like, Saudi Arabia is, like, genociding Yemen just because of a lack of confidence. And, like, you know, MBS has to, like, go into the mirror and do some affirmations and, like, you know, then do some retail therapy with some new drones. He just, just got to get his confidence. They just got to get their confidence up, you know, like because the, because the whole idea is basically, oh, yeah, we can trust Saudi Arabia and Israel to, like, carry out our agenda and we don't have to be there, you know, but that like they're not really capable of doing that. And it's not really in their interest in the same way to do everything that America wants them to do. I mean, it's more in their interest to cooperate with the people that they have to actually live with um, than it is, you know, the other countries, including Iran. It's more in the interest of the Saudi people for Saudi Arabia to cooperate with Iran and the rest of the Gulf states than it is to for them to just be the running dogs of the American empire. But that, but in the, you know, extremely blinkered warp view yeah. of the american empire it's just they just need more confidence they just saudi arabia is just not confident enough you just you just gotta have that you know american verve you know that not give a fuck attitude that got america this far why yeah, isn't everyone and, and one thing i remember like, like there's oh, there have right, been the articles be written about this like during the obama years that obama basically killed the anti-war movement because you know like they became i mean he kind of pulled out of iraq people stopped caring and then when it came to drone strikes yeah um liberals were on board because the main thing they were concerned about is that what pissed them off is that u.s empire was getting american soldiers killed they didn't ca- they didn't care about like people in the muslim world being killed in places like yemen libya somalia like pakistan afghanistan elsewhere like that wasn't really their motivating concern that's there's something very american american exceptionalist about that that like we only care if um when there's a war the united states only cares if its own soldiers get killed but if there's like civilians or people who don't deserve to get killed and also like countries that you know don't freaking deserve to get invaded 
or have their countries bombed as part of like this global endless war on quote unquote terrorism, um, there's a lot less empathy given to people who are at the receiving end of that. And um, because drone strikes don't get American soldiers killed because you can just kill someone from the press of a button in like some some uh, you know shack in the desert in Nevada or, or somewhere. Yeah, they're. Oh, well, right, yeah, because they have to like keep suicides. watching people over oh, and over again. And have like, okay, now you have to press this, press a button and kill someone. This person you've been watching, like, it's weird. Like, you're watching spying on someone, and then like you get the order to kill them, and then you kill them. So yeah, like there, there is that, but it's not like the soldiers are getting killed by like. You know, they're not getting killed in Iraq by, like, you know, some some Iraqi who decides to pick up a gun and shoot them because they're trying to defend yeah. their country against foreign invaders. Like that's that that's that's the thing that scares a lot of Americans and American liberals that like they don't like that because it's too um it's too reminiscent of Vietnam for them. Like, because they that there's like that kind of like yeah like people don't like seeing American soldiers get killed, but there's not this equal level of empathy given for like. Vietnamese or Yemenis or Iraqis or Somalis or Libyans and um I think because like Obama Obama's militarism focused on drones and also uh special operations forces which conduct like you know ground operations but a lot more secret secretly it's easier to continue the same system of endless war but without any kind with with less public oversight so people so American could can just like you know, wage war around the world and not, and people not give a shit about it. And so Trump is continuing, continuing this. And again, like it's out of public sight. And, um, I think, you know, with Biden and, and, uh, the people on his transition team, it seems pretty clear, like, oh, we're going to have like pretty much very similar, like war machine policy, like this sort of war machine on autopilot with drones and special operations forces and also like more private military contractors like the same system of global empire but waged differently and cooler and sleeker with drones and then and and this this time the drones will be woke they're gonna have black lives matter bumper stickers you know like yeah there's drones are gonna be woke now yeah yeah, well, they already normalize drones with all the, you know, $200 drones you buy. I remember when that, I remember, because I, I mean, I remember, this is how old we are, when, like, nobody had drones, yeah. and then, like, there are these things called predator drones that showed up, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Uh, they're like, oh, no, that's just, like, one kind of drone. There's, like, all kinds of drones. Now everyone has drones, you know, to, like, do cool drone shots of canyons and stuff. But yeah, stuff just continues to get normalized. Uh, everyone just goes about their life. I mean, I don't. I I hate the. I mean, it's not you, that I'm a doomer, really. Are you honestly. sure? Though I understand <laughs> why people mistake me for one. Yes, right. Because if I really actually didn't care, I wouldn't even be doing this. Uh, you know, I really would actually just be checked out and just do as many drugs as I could for as long as I could, uh, which I definitely fantasize about doing sometimes. Sorry. Uh, but there there will be I, like the stage is set 
for, you know, a heroic struggle of, let's say, the working class. Because when I think about, you know, all the just how tall the odds are and everything that's stacked up against us, it's like, isn't there just like part of people that's like, okay, well, who says we can't, you know, take this system down? Like, that's the thing. That's the thing that, and especially in America, where there's always like the can do spirit. It's like, you know, we could, you know, like, can't we use any of that, like, you know, any of that energy and spirit, like, into, like, toppling the system? Because, like, like, we can't, like, we really are just going to let all this shit happen? Like, like, it's just going to, do they really, like, have all of us controlled that well? Sorry, I'm getting a little uh, demagogy, but it's, but on moments like these, I feel like it's justified. It's like, are they... We're really just gonna let all them do all of this? Like, come on, man. There's gotta be. There's gotta be. Like, people will act and people will do things, and the hope is just that it's coordinated enough and you know correctly timed yeah. enough that yeah, it and and works. that kind of like gets to the I guess like yeah. Let's wrap up with this. I mean, like you know, like we can wrap now up that pretty Trump soon. is like. You know, what does it mean? What does it mean to... I mean, well, you, you can't vote out fascism, so there's that. But to me, it seems like what all this means and where we're at, because we were... The past four years, like, we've been in this state where it's like... um, It's almost like we're in... We were in, like, four years of triage mode under Trump, under the four years of Trump. Like, there was this, like... Yeah, that's what it felt like, because before Trump, I felt like, as a writer, I had, like, more space to get pieces published about, like, Guantanamo and other stories, but it's it's been a little bit harder, uh, honestly, because, like, there's so much public attention being focused on just Trump. Like, Trump took so much of people's, like, brain space and he took so much fucking space because so much of the media was focusing on like what trump was doing and all this shit and then also like our reaction to trump and it's been like four years of that shit that we're told that the 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 most important thing in the four years is to get the fucking cheeto out like this orange man this orange menace we have to get him out you can't even say his name like i remember being in graduate school like people didn't even want to say his name we're just going to call him 45 because i don't i don't respect him as my president right well you can't normalize <laughs> the president point. like don't i don't even know how that works like, don't platform the president the guy who's six at 1600 pennsylvania avenue that well well that's that that's how highly, that's how highly liberals think of their own uh, attention ability. Yeah, they, and so they now really that do believe the, the that if they don't acknowledge the something, man, that it's not the there. sort of you know that guy forty five is no longer forty five, and now we have a forty six. What does this mean? It seems like well, we're back to it's just a return to neoliberalism. But it seems like this phase of neoliberalism. Uh. I don't. I don't even know if it's a return to the Obama years. It just feels like, oh, it's going to be like neoliberalism. But yeah, yes, it's like the Clinton no, years. No, this but is like, back. This is the feels, Clinton days, baby. Worse. I don't know because it because it, it maybe 
Right. Yeah. yeah maybe we're just. Well, it feels see. worse for having already but gone through it. it. It's um. Yeah, like that's that's what it feels like. Yeah. What to, something to expect is just like because even some people on the left were saying they would rather protest against a neoliberal than a fascist. Okay, well the fascist is out. Now the neoliberal is in. So now the task is okay, what to do under a neoliberal administration? Because some people are like, we're gonna hold him accountable. What does that mean? Because I, yeah. I, I look, I have my ideas. Like that's why I'm involved in Pan African organizations. Why I believe in pan african socialism because i feel like that's like an actual viable uh long-term end goal for black liberation so like someone like me who believes in that and talks about issues like gentrification and guantanamo like i know for sure like i'm gonna be doing what i was always doing which is just yeah uh writing about and talking about those issues and agitating on them and also like now like getting involved in organizing so i know only just for myself i feel like i'm just going to be doing this stuff i've been doing anyway which is just agitating on the issues that i care about um but in terms of where america is at in the left and because i don't know like part of me worries that now that you know the orange cheeto in chief is gone and now we have biden um my fear and i hope this fear does not come true is that like a lot of people are going to go to sleep under biden because like hey we got the cheeto out uh now it's back to brunch because a lot there's a lot of people who just want to go back to brunch there's like Ugh, if yeah but but br- but is brunch the same you know hollandaise is a little dry you know the uh the eggs benedict not quite as runny as it used to they burn the French toast, and you're like, well, we're at brunch, but, you know, this mimosa, it's like they didn't put any champagne in it, you know? it's That's what it's going to be like. It's like, they're gonna you're going to go back to brunch, and it's just, but it's going to be a shittier brunch. And, like, I, I've related the past four years to, you know, the, I, I think I did um, say this on the bonus episode, but I'll say it again, I've developed the analogy, uh, is that you know yeah. the, there's the whole thing yeah. about you can't put a frog in boiling water because it'll jump out and i feel like in 2016 everyone was just bored and they're like well look we're gonna have to boil the frog at some point let's just see what happens let's just see what happens just drop the frog in boiling water and exactly what they thought happened you know they got fucking boiling water all over their face and they and then the frog started hopping around the room and everyone's like what the fuck's going on ah where the hell did the frog go? And so they finally tracked down the frog. They turned the water back down. And now the frog's back in the water, you know, at a nice bath. But, you know, it's it's going up. And you can already see the bubbles on the side of the pot, you know. And you're like, and you just, we just went through the experience of being dropped in the boiling water. So we know, like, what's going to happen. But it's just, we're waiting for it to happen. I think that's the I think that's probably the unnerving element of what I've been feeling is just like, okay, well, they turned it back to seven, but they're going to turn it up again. They're just going to do it more slowly because they realize it's it doesn't work or maybe they knew it was going to not going to work. And they just wanted to see what would happen because of all the things that are in store in terms of climate disasters and just inequality 
rising to levels that, you know, historically are shown to undo societies um, and everything else, a declining empire and everything else that like they are, you know, they're going to have to boil the frog. And so it's like, well, you know, what are when are they going to do that? (laughs) Like. Like it's it's just like okay, well they want you know the right. the stormtroopers yeah. went away, but they're not gone. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> so I mean, I I know what I'll be doing, but I'm just like I'm just only one person, but just trying to make an assessment of you know what will happen and uh, yeah. what to do is you know a lot more um, difficult. But you know, I maybe I'll just say this that like. You know, people who are on the left and progressives who um, have been saying, like, uh, you know, they would rather protest a neoliberal than a fascist. Well, okay, you you got what you wanted. Um, you got the fascists out. Now we have neoliberalism in. I, yeah. And the I'll just go back to what I was saying about um, obama because i do remember the anti-war movement dying under obama because a lot of people who um previously cared about the iraq war stopped caring about the wars once obama came in office because they liked obama and their their main motivation was hating bush they didn't really hate the wars or the u.s war machine they just hated fucking you know the bush guy and Bush got out, Obama got in, people liked Obama. Um, and so like, you know, the the things we're the, the things we're talking about are largely bipartisan. Like systemic racism is a bipartisan affair. So just voting a dem Yeah, and so yeah, like it was it was you, you Democrats that you know, did Prop um, twenty two. And even like a lot of issues I I write about, like gentrification, Guantanamo. I think this this adds to just my cynicism about the two party system because I've seen how Democrats like, you know, continue the same fucking shit. So I I I just never got into the whole like we have to elect more Democrats because things will change. Like okay, yeah, like Democrats are, you know, not as bad as Republicans, but like holy shit, like come on, like just don't be, don't be delusional about the people you're voting in. And so I think like people who you know, we're so urgent about getting Trump out. Cool. Well, Trump is out. I mean, he's probably not. I don't think he's going anywhere. Like he's gonna be on fucking Fox News and talking a bunch of shit. Yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, he's, he can I, still I think run probably, again. So you just gotta have the same energy for Biden that you did Trump. Honestly, I, I, that's probably the best way I can put it succinctly. Like the same energy you had in huffing and puffing and being pissed at Trump. You better have the same fucking energy when Biden does a lot of the same shit, especially when it comes to drone strikes, um, police brutality, those sorts of things. Like when the same things can, when a lot of the same things continue under Biden, you better have as much energy for Biden as you did Trump. Um, and you know, yeah, hold politicians accountable, but don't hold them accountable for the sake of holding account holding them accountable. Like you have to hold them accountable to basically build a better future for the long run so that yeah that that that's what i think what do, what do you think peter about like what's to come or how to wrap up um i guess you know like yeah <laughs> whenever you know i've gotten a lot of well what's your answer it's like 
that's the and that's really the problem is uh is the individualist mindset you know and they're like i'm supposed to have all the answers uh i clearly don't if you haven't figured that one out by now but you know it's like it's not it isn't just oh what am i supposed to do like you have to figure out what you're supposed to do i can't tell you what you're supposed to do i just know that everyone needs to be doing something and they need to be doing more they need to bold action is what needs to be taking place and people need to figure out what they're willing to risk and what they're willing to give up so that we can have a livable future because it requires sacrifice and it requires risk and it requires willingness to give up some of the comforts that you have in your life even if you don't have that many of them like you have to be willing to do that and you know in the context there is a heroism to it there is an element of a heroic struggle that is reifying and you can find and that is where you can find you know purpose and meaning and all those things that all gen x spent 35 fucking years trying to find and you know still and then just gave up so they could cash in on you know tech money and all that shit like 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 we have that but what we're missing is yeah belief in capability um and that's the that's the thing that i think especially creative types uh you really need to step up in imagining that future and trying, you know, not that it's going to be a specific blueprint, but just getting people to believe that that's possible. And it's a thing worth fighting for because I'm sick of all the dystopian zombie apocalypse shit. You know, that has an effect on people's psyches and imaginations. And we got to start figuring out, you know, what is, a revolutionary movement situation. What does that look like in this landscape in this time period? Like, let's like, we got to put all of our heads together and and we got to move fearlessly. It's not, no one's going to do this for us. They're perfectly happy driving the whole thing over the cliff because they got their parachutes. But the question is for everyone else in the car, are we just going to let them? Because, you know, I mean, we're going to die anyway. Like, you know, at what point? At what point are you willing? At what point does live life under the system become so unbearable that it's worth, you know, risking something at that level? I mean, that's a question everyone has to ask themselves. But they need to ask themselves uh, that they this is there. You cannot post your way out of this. You can't even just, you know, go to a couple rallies or me. I mean, this is this is the whole, this is it. This is the twenty first century. We're a fifth of the way through, and I feel like we've gotten off flight. And so, I people got to have that long term view, that century wide view, because the people at the top can think th- in that that far. I mean, not all of them clearly, but you know enough of them that matter can, and they're planned. That's so yeah. What I think that's a plans? perfect way to end. Yeah. So, I guess um, I'll leave on that note. So if you want to keep supporting us, again, patreon.com slash hours. Again, if you like this episode, if you want um, access to bonus episodes where we discuss readings, um, additional stuff like bonus material, um, support us for $5 a month. That will make you a patron. You'll get access to bonus material and you'll see you'll be supporting independent black media. Um, so again, patreon.com slash real sun car hours again patreon.com slash real sun car hours 
And again, follow us on Twitter at Slankara Hours and the rest of the Resistance Wild crew. Um, shout out to all y'all. Um, anyway, yeah, let's sign out. Keep the faith. Peace. And stay dangerous. Love you all.